bear your cross before the crown. Uh, some nice words there, and it's going to connect with what we're talking about today. Um, my name is Chris Smithson. I look out here and I actually know a lot of you guys, and that was really encouraging, and a lot of you guys from my childhood that I haven't seen in a long time, so that was pretty cool. I'm a teacher and worship leader at Seaview Baptist back in the back of the valley here, and I also teach here at Elmites. Um, Pastor Rob is away, and he asked me to fill in, uh, and we're just going to be moving forward in the series that you guys have been doing, the Back to the Basics series. Um, last week, I listened to the sermon online. Pastor Rob spoke to you guys about uh, community and fellowship, right? I didn't miss it one. That was community and fellowship. Um, and he said, you know, he made you guys look at the early church, and you saw, what, a community that was marked by authentic worship, uh, a sense of awe at what Christ was doing in their midst, and then a really important one for us today, mutual care for one another. Uh, those are these three marks you saw in the early church. They were marked by love. Uh, today, our topic is, we're going to look at suffering, um, and primarily Christian suffering. Um, and we're not going to consider everything that we could. I mean, suffering is such a vast topic, and it's vast just in the, the way we feel it, but also in what the scripture says about it. And we're not going to cover everything. We're just going to look at a few specific things that the Bible says about suffering as the church, and our focus is going to be pretty narrow. Um, some of that will be directed by our passage, and other parts of that from there will kind of springboard to just a few more comments about suffering and some of the other things the scriptures say about suffering. So let me just pray briefly for us, and then we're going to jump right into the text. Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that you'd speak to us. Uh, speak to us through your word, that you'd comfort us, um, that you'd sanctify us with your truth. Uh, we come to you with expectation, and we come to you humbly, uh, and we come to you eagerly, Lord. Uh, please, Lord, fill us with your joy. In your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so our main text is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11, and uh, there were some papers that were passed out, and there might be some projection behind as well. And I'm just going to read this text in full, and then we'll go from there. This is Paul. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So this is the start of Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, and as we read, something terrible has just happened to Paul and his co-workers. They've just had this, this heavy experience, and it's probably some form of persecution. Uh, it said that they were afflicted to the point of uh, basically feeling, this is the end. Um, they, it says they were so utterly burdened beyond their strength that they despaired of life. But in God's mercies, Paul and his companions were delivered from this. Uh, they were delivered from the situation, and interestingly enough, Paul then sees that as an occasion to praise God for an overflowing abundance of comfort that came on the far end of his suffering. And so he even praises him for the suffering. Because he says, look how he comforted us. Look how he delivered us in the midst of this craziness. Uh, and so then he takes that comfort that he has, and he wants to take it and encourage and comfort the Corinthian church. Uh, which, according to the text, is patiently enduring the same sorts of suffering. They're co-suffering too. So he wants to take the comfort and bring it. And so what Paul is doing is he's establishing a brotherhood of like suffering. Uh, and he's saying, this like suffering is going to lead to shared comfort. And right now, Paul is seeking to minister to their needs out of his abundance, uh, which he's received from God. And I want to say a couple things from this text. That's kind of the, the, the basic there. But this might seem a little, order, but, uh, a little out of order, but we're going to consider just three truths from the beginning of this text. And then from there, we'll, we'll jump elsewhere. Uh, I'm also feeling strange. I'm so free. I'm not used to this lapel mic. I'm used to, like, really restricted, and I don't, I don't know where to put my hands. Uh, so I'll, we'll just get used to that together. Uh, number one, it says, according, according to Paul, th this is a beautiful, it says, God comforts us in our suffering. 
That's simple, right? God comforts us in our suffering, but it's a profound truth about God. We don't have a distant deity that's just way up somewhere else. We have a God who comforts, who comes alongside. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Listen to how he's described. The Father of mercies and a God of all comfort. That's the epithet for him there. Have you, has anyone here ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the comfort of God? That the God of mercy has in some way come and comforted you? Yeah, yeah probably in lots of different ways too, right? Um, we've experienced this theology. It's near to us because God is near to us. Uh, and in a very real sense, all of us have been comforted by God. If you know and cherish the gospel, uh, if you're in Christ, you were dead in your sins. But God was rich in mercy, Right? And what, did he do? what does he do? He comes and he speaks life into you. He sees your dark heart and he says, let there be light there and there's new creation. Uh, so if you're a Christian, you've been comforted. You know this God of comfort. You were an orphan, but now you're home. You were lost, but now you're found. And hopefully that's not just a one-time thing, but something you kind of derive comfort from on a regular basis. That you were lost, but now you're found. Um, and if your experience of your Christian walk is anything like mine, you've probably been comforted in all sorts of different ways. Uh, one example of, of mine, for, for me, is uh, the gift of prayer, and especially when faced with kind of gut-wrenching anxiety. Have you ever had gut-wrenching anxiety? You know, so maybe something heavy or maybe something small, and you're like, why am I reacting like this? But for whatever it is, uh, it's there and it's heavy upon you. And I think of a verse like Philippians 4, and it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, and I'm like, I don't really feel like it. That's, I've got this gut-wrenching anxiety. Um, but then Paul says what? He says, the Lord is at hand. He says, the Lord's here. And he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, and he's at hand, and when you pray with thanksgiving, he, will, he himself will come visit you and bring you peace and guard your heart in a way that's kind of hard to understand. And God's comforted me in that way many times, and and there's all sorts of ways that he leads us beside still waters, isn't there? Um, maybe it's during worship, or maybe it was actually during a tragedy, or you were reconciling with someone and it felt terrible and suffering, and yet he led you beside still waters in the midst of it. Or maybe his kindness led you to repentance in some way, and he was there and he was gentle, and he comforted you and he led you by the hand. I, I hope we all agree, God is a God of comfort. And we likely can agree with this next thing too, we're often in great need of it. Um, suffering is kind of one of the main themes of the human experience. Uh, we all suffer in lots of different ways. Um, the definition of suffering is this, and maybe this will be more familiar, uh, undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. Uh, it's not at all unusual. We all kind of experience it in different ways, uh, different sorts, different degrees. Um, maybe even some people suffer disproportionately to others. In fact, we know that's true. Sometimes it seems unfair and we wrestle with that. Uh, but we all experience hardship and trials and afflictions. And the thing is, and this might sound a bit strange, and this is Paul here, he actually says, and here and elsewhere, that Christians have a particular calling that actually pretty much guarantees more suffering. Yeah, thank you. Uh, even in our passage, Paul says, abundant suffering. And that brings me to, to the second point that I want to pull from this early thing. The work of the gospel, following Jesus in this world on mission, will share abundantly in the suffering of Christ. But according to Paul, in the same measure, it will also share abundantly in his comfort. Uh, if you identify with Christ in full, you must also identify with his sufferings. Um, not just general suffering at this point. This is the sort of suffering one experiences when you're following Jesus and continuing his work. Because, you know, Jesus says in the New Testament, if any of you are going to come after me, what does he say? He says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And you cannot follow Jesus without following him. And if you follow him long enough, where does it do? It leads you to the cross. It leads you to that sort of thing where he suffered for the world. And Paul comments frequently throughout the epistles that the gospel work that he's doing is somehow connected to the very sufferings of Christ. He even looks at it as a continuing of or a filling up of Christ's work in this world. You can see that in Colossians 1, a couple other passages that I didn't write down. Um, if you're part of the church, you are part of the body of Christ which is his physical representatives on earth. And so you're going to be part of continuing his mission, and his mission here, suffering was a major part of it. 
But it wasn't just needless suffering. It was suffering unto something. It was suffering for some good. Um, and the church shares in his suffering and also shares in his work. But Paul doesn't just leave it there, right? Like we said, if we share in the suffering of Christ, he guarantees us that we will also share in the comfort of Christ. An overflowing of comfort. Just like there's abundant sufferings, an overflowing of suffering that might seem too much. Well, then he says there's an overflowing, abundant, matching grace where we're comforted. Um, And this is kind of a truth of your baptism, if you think about it. When we're baptized, we celebrate our union with Christ. The idea that you've been connected with Christ through the Spirit, you've been united to Him, and you die with Him to be raised again to walk in newness of life. So you're passing through the judgment unto a new creation because of what Christ has done. Uh, that's a past, present, future reality that you're living into. Um, in Romans 6, 5, Paul says that if we died with him, what, we will be raised with him. In Romans 8, he says, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. And here he says, if we share in his suffering, we will share in his comfort. This is a promise that flows out of your position in Christ. You're united to him in his death, so therefore his death is yours, his victory is yours, his suffering is yours, his comfort is yours, his glory is yours. It's all been given to you by God's grace. Um, and in Paul's typical radical fashion, he says, so when persecution comes to the apostles, this is good for the church. Um, because the apostles will be comforted, and then they'll take that comfort and encourage the church with it. So he says, if we're comforted, great, but if we're suffering, great, because it's all going to work towards the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. It's going to be for the good of the church. And so it's very Paul, right? <laughs> he sees all this bad. Even in really, really bad stuff, he sees gospel good. You can look in Philippians 2, when he's like, hey, actually, it's been great that I've been in prison because this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Like, Paul, you're strange. Uh, and Paul also adds in verse 9 of this passage that this particular tribulation that he has, it taught them not to rely on themselves, but instead to trust more fully the God who can raise the dead. It says that the trouble pushed them to trust God more fully. Has anyone experienced that before, that God teaches you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial? He actually does it a lot. I've, I mean, I've, I've seen that happen this week in, in a lot of people that I love and even in myself. Um, does that mean that every instance of suffering will have like a neatly tied moral or theological lesson on the other side to be gift-wrapped and presented to you? Pro- probably not. Um, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the suffering came to just teach you a lesson. But... God can teach through suffering, and he does. And he often does in, in abundance. Uh, and Paul, he's able to draw two things right here. He says, verse 9, the pain caused them to trust God more fully. And in verse 4, he said, God comfort them in such a way that they're now able to comfort others in a new way. By the way, I've said comfort like 300 times. I should define that really quick. Uh, the, the etymology is like, is like the word that we use, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is a comforter, the one who comes alongside. And so a comforter is a, is a coming alongside, an advocate, someone who helps, who, someone who's there with you for your good. That's when someone comforts us, that's the same way we feel, right? When someone's there for us, for our good. And this brings us to our, our, our last thing on this early part of the passage. The comfort that we receive in Christ from God is meant to be used to comfort others. Um, who, the passage says this, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And there's a pattern here that's echoed throughout all the scriptures. And I really want to emphasize it. And I might even overemphasize it. And I'm doing that on purpose because it's really important. And it's this beautiful pattern throughout the Bible that when God gives you a gift, it's not meant to just be received and hoarded by an individual. The gift is always supposed to then emanate out towards others. That what you receive is then supposed to overflow. So when we receive the abundance, when it says that Christ lavishes his love upon us, it's supposed to then overflow to the many. Uh, you guys kind of talked about this last week when you talked about koinonia fellowship, the mutual care of the church. In Acts 2, those who had wealth, those who had been given wealth by God, what they do, they were sharing it, and it was apportioned out to any who had need. Uh, so also with comfort. The comfort you received is then to be used to help others in the church, not just hoarded, not just kept to yourself, though we're used to doing that with stuff and with gifts. Um, I've just had a little kid's birthday party, and they... Yeah. Didn't want anyone else to play with the gifts they were given. And it bummed everyone out. Uh, you know, it could have easily been for everyone. But when we receive, uh, well, let me say this. Uh, in Christ, God's commands are for our good. Um, they always seem to be kind of rescuing us away from ourselves, kind of from an egocentrism. And here, this isn't even framed as a command. 
It's just like this natural outworking. Paul is saying, praise be to God because he comforts us in our affliction so then I can comfort others with it. Like this is great that I get this comfort so then I can use it. He's just worshiping and thanking God that he now can better comfort other people. It's not a command. He's just showing us, look, this happens. And then he's doing it at the same time. Um, and this is that pattern I mentioned. And here's where I'm probably going to overemphasize so don't fall asleep. In, in Genesis 12, you have this promise that God gives to Abraham. It says, God blesses Abraham and it says, so that he may be a blessing. He blesses Abraham so that he may be a blessing. And that blessing is then supposed to eventually go to the ends of the earth. Um, this is actually the beginning of the covenant plan of redemption. God gave him a gift, but it's also a calling. He's also incorporating Abram, sorry, I should have said Abram earlier, Abram into the work that he's doing in this world. And this pattern is programmatic for us. When you receive the spirit of God in your heart, it's a gift, right? Through faith in Jesus, it is a gift. And it is a gift for you. It's a seal of God's favor upon you. It's a gift from above. But as we know, when we receive the Spirit, it's also an equipping, isn't it? God is awakening your heart for the doing of good in this world to partner in his gospel work. So it's a gift, but then it's a calling. It's a gift, but then it's equipping. And Paul even sees his suffering as a gift because he knows it's the cross and then the crown. He knows that it's suffering, then comfort, it's death, and then victory. So he knows that even in his suffering, it's going to be good for others. So he already rejoices, and he tries to encourage others who suffer. That's what he's doing in this passage. He's living it out already. Other examples of this pattern, God might have been generous with you in terms of your wealth. And he's been generous with you so that you may be equipped to be generous with others, to help the weak and the needy. Um, maybe you have a particular gifting or a particular skill that you've been gifted with. Well, it's for others. It's not just for you. It's not just to draw attention to yourself, it's, it's for others. Um, how about this one, this, this gospel truth? While you were still posturing as an enemy of God, uh, God loved you and gave his son for you so that you might learn to love your enemy and seek their good and seek the good of a city. Uh, while, while still posturing as an enemy, God loved you. Um, how about the, the spiritual gifts of a church? The scriptures teach that Paul gives spiritual gifts to people in the church. And it says specifically, what are they for? For the, the building up of the church. They're for others. You've been given a gift, but the gift is for others. Because this is something I might say twice. Your life flourishes in Christ when it's lived for others. I'm going to say that again. Your life flourishes in Christ when it is lived for others. Uh, see, what you receive from God is meant to overflow to others. A couple more examples, because I told you I was going to overemphasize it. Forgiveness. I think every time I've ever taught, I try to use forgiveness as an example because it's so important. Uh, this is a huge one. You read Ephesians 5 or the story of the great debtor and we've been forgiven an unpayable debt. And it enables us in some sort of super rational way to forgive others their unpayable debts against us. Uh, we're not supposed to retaliate. We're not supposed to fight fire with fire or evil with evil or hold a grudge. We're supposed to enter the joy of the king. And we enter it by entrusting the judgment to him and we say, Father, forgive but the gift is what enables us to do that. When we come to cherish the gospel grace in Christ that we learn to really know what it means that we've been forgiven, it, it enables us to then forgive. Forgiven so that we might also forgive as a witness. Um, is this pattern making sense? Yeah, well, thanks for that, nods. Thank you, Joey. Joey used to be a student of mine, so he knows that helps me. Uh, you receive the message of the gospel, and guess what? Now you're supposed to go tell other people about it. It's a gift that calls you to mission. Uh, in God's love, he doesn't say, you know what, change a lot, and then I'm going to love you. No, what does he do? He loves us as we are, and then loves us unto change. But he loves us as we are. He accepts us there freely, and then loves us unto change. So also, when we love, we're not supposed to say, change a lot, and then I'll love you. But until then, I'm withholding it. We're not supposed to use love as a commodity that can be traded or withheld in a way to wield power over others. That's not how God does it. God has done it freely to us so that we can do the same. God loved as gift. Therefore, we love others as gift. And lastly here, um, when we look at the life of Jesus, notice that he was with all his um, disciples and he gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. And he says, uh, now that I've done this, like you're equipped to go and do likewise. Like go and do likewise. Um, his gift becomes a calling. It equips us for a purpose. And maybe this might seem small to you or like kind of old hat, like I've heard this over and over, but it's really important and, it, and it's really life-giving. Uh, Christians share in the suffering of Christ and in his comfort, but
but also as one body, and you guys are one body, you share in each other's sufferings. And you ought also to share in each other's comforts. The comforts that you receive in your suffering are meant to then comfort others in the body. Uh, an easy example of this, um, have you ever had that instance where you were able to help someone cling to a particular promise of God and you kind of felt able to because uh, you'd faced a similar trial? Like you'd been, in, you'd been in that particular trench and so you knew what it was like and God had come alongside you in some way and lifted you out and so he'd given you a wealth of comfort and then someone's like, hey, I've been there and you were able to comfort. Have you ever had that situation? Um, or maybe there wasn't even that many words to say because sometimes what people need is just someone to mourn with those who mourn. Maybe you just came alongside and that's what someone did to you. There were no words, it was too heavy, but someone just came alongside and they felt the pain with you. They cried with you and they shared in your sufferings. This is one of the modes of mutual care that Pastor, Pastor Rob talked about last week. Uh, just the coming alongside of each other. Uh, just yesterday, I was at a memorial service uh, and a, a single mother lost her young son. Uh, he's in his early 20s. And she didn't want to go up and speak in front of everyone, but she gave a letter to someone, and someone read the letter. And, and, and this is what in the letter it said. It says, I wish God hadn't taken you so soon, but I pray that God will use me in the future to help mamas that have lost their sons too. She's getting something that, that is strange to me on the outside. She's getting some comfort from God from the body of Christ who are just sitting there and crying with her. That's all they're doing. And yet as she's doing it, she says, I, I pray someday I'll be able to use this to comfort others. She's living out this pattern. Don't even know if she knows this verse. She's living it out, trying to follow Jesus in the just immense difficulty of her son dying. Um, seeing Christ, we're comforted to comfort others. We're loved to love others, and we're blessed to bless others. Um, and from here, we're, we're going to spring, springboard a little bit. If you have the outline to the, these final two points, uh, two more points about Christian suffering. Um, and the first is this, suffering is an inevitable part of following Jesus. Um, in verse 5, it says Christians share in his sufferings. Uh, in the beginning of Philippians, it says, if you're in Christ, you are granted, that's actually gift language, you're granted to share in his sufferings. Uh, and Paul, once again, strange as he is, and yet an example for us, in Philippians 3.10, he actually seems to be desiring it. He says, I want to know Christ more, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, so I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death so that I might attain the resurrection of the dead. He actually has this desire to know Christ in his sufferings. Because he's talking about living out his baptism into the future tense. Because for Paul, to suffer with Christ is a gift. It's been granted because those who share in his sufferings, as we saw, will share also in his life, his work, and therefore his joy. Um, those who share in the work of the cross share in the glory of the crown. And if you're in Christ... I'm still just like, I guess I can walk around anywhere. If you're in Christ, you are part of the spiritual family of Abraham. Through faith, you're part of the spiritual family of Abraham. And Abraham's family was a people who were called to mediate blessing and righteousness in a world of curse. It was this blessing from God to then go out to the whole world. But you read in Galatians 3, and Paul says, actually, that whole Abrahamic blessing is ultimately talking about Christ. So you think when Christ came, this ultimate blessing giver to give blessing to all the nations of the world, we'd be like, this is great. Here comes the ultimate blessing giver. Let's welcome him with joy. But what happens when Christ comes? Christ comes, sorry. What do they do? They hated him, right? They envied him. They mocked him. They falsely accused him. They tortured him. They killed him. And not just they, we have to say we. Mankind did that. Uh, the world did not like him. We did not like him. We didn't like how it challenged us. And once again, if you're in Christ, you're the body of Christ, and guess what? You're called to become like him and to walk in his steps to be conformed to the image of the Son. So if you're going to become like him and be about his same work, you're going to run into the same sort of opposition. You're going to run into the same sort of hardships and maybe even persecution. And this should be no surprise. Paul, sorry, Christ told his disciples in John 15. He says, if you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because... You're not of this world because I have chosen you out of this world. Therefore, the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And look at the examples we have throughout the scriptures of people like Joseph or Daniel or Paul, who all of them, they suffered innocently while doing good. This is the pattern of following Christ. And Jesus actually pronounces a blessing in these instances. If you look at Matthew 5, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? Because 
Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, it's normal for the Christian to suffer, and there's blessing in it. And think about Jesus. Uh, he suffered for doing what was good, right? He didn't suffer for doing what was wrong. He suffered doing what was good. And maybe some of you had an experience like that where you had to choose to do the right thing and you kind of suffered some abuse for it, maybe at work or in somewhere else or in a family situation. Maybe you've, you've felt that before. Jesus also suffered for preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he also suffered, and this one is crazy to me, and I know there was Sabbath arguments and stuff, but he suffered when he helped people who were suffering. Like people abused him when he was helping people. And one like, doesn't make much sense to me. Um, but that's what happened. Because for many, when Christ came, it challenged their way. It challenged their theology, the things that they were so certain of. And this is a big one. It challenged their cultural and economic advantages. Their, their, their class, or their wealth, or their way of understanding the way the world worked. It challenged their cultural and economic advantages. It shook it up a little bit, and they didn't like that, right? It challenged how they understood the world, who they were, and their way of being. And it challenged a little kingdom that they had set up for themselves. A kingdom that in reality was actually soul-destroying and harmful to the world. You know, he tells the Pharisees, you know, your evangelism is, not, is harming the world. Um, Jesus challenges those things. And so they didn't like that. There's kickback. Because the world and us, the people in it, um, maybe you've noticed this, we're sin-sick and broken. Uh, we don't see things aright and we get things backward and out of sorts. Can we agree to that? Um, and the kingdom of God comes and it subverts the norms of the city of man. It shows us things are right, but it can be really disorienting if we've been used to something for a long time, right? Um, the world is under the sway of the evil one, according to Paul. And therefore, it's opposed to what is good and right. And so when the, the Old Testament prophets came, the ones that Jesus was referring to, and they brought truth, and it challenged the kind of the false narratives of the culture, what happened? People plugged their ears and pushed them away and abused them, and they didn't want to hear it. Saying, you know, go back to wherever, and you can prophesy there, but don't come here because we don't like you. Um, they didn't want to hear the truth. Uh, people don't like big truth, right? It challenges us. The kingdom of God still does this, doesn't it? It calls into question a lot of the major themes of our culture. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but uh, you guys talked about this last week, our individualism, uh, being isolated and having our own little kingdoms of comfort and pleasure not to be messed around with by other people. Uh, the way that we relate to sex, money, power, career. Um, the kingdom of God challenges the, the way that are, the cultural norms. Uh, our moral relativism. The scriptures teach that God determines good and evil, not mankind. Um, our absurd relationship to consumer goods. Um, where Jesus said, hey, no, stop doing that. Uh, that moth and rust, don't do that. Eternal reward. Um, our materialism in general, living as if the spirit didn't matter, that the body uh, only mattered. Um, down to stuff that we would say we don't like, but then we live out, like our racism or our violence against one another, um, or our hedonism, kind of our pursuit of pleasure above all else, or maybe uh, our economics of greed. Um, the kingdom exposes these things. Um, and we live in a world that doesn't really like being exposed. Uh, and therefore, the scripture says in 2 Timothy 3, it says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, trying to live righteous and unrighteous world is against the grain. And I think you guys learned a lot about this because you guys just went through 1 Peter as a church, right? Um, and you learned about persecution and there's different forms. There's terrible physical persecution that you see like across the world or you hear about in other places where churches are meeting in secret and that sort of thing. And that's kind of the stuff that Paul would face. And then you could, you know, maybe go down the scale and look at political persecution of various kinds. Let's be careful not to cry wolf there too soon, though. Um, all the way to lesser forms. Maybe you get marginalized at work. You don't get invited to the barbecue or something. Uh, or someone blames you for their past trauma that they had. Um, or I always don't like this one. Like, you get lumped in with the worst representatives of Christianity. It's like, oh, and they prejudge you, and that's who you are. Um, and this one always bothers me too, kind of like a Neanderthaling of your intellect. It's like, oh, you're still religious? Like, you're a, a lower evolutionary like, totem pole. Like, 
this is an age of science and progress. Like, you're so backwards and primitive. And it's like, no, like, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> but that, that happens, right? Uh, but Jesus visits us and he says, hey, blessed are you. Uh, blessed are you when you stay faithful, uh, when you endure, not retaliating and being combative, but when you entrusted to God and you stay faithful. Uh, faithfulness looks strange uh, in the city of man. It does. Uh, and it's not always welcome. Uh, and that's okay. You know, a- a- Abram is called out of Babel, right? And pushed towards a, a heavenly kingdom. Um, this is kind of a little bit of an aside. Are we doing okay, by the way? Um, suffering is also inevitable for the Christian because the process by which God purifies us is often very painful. Have you noticed that? Um, repentance and change can be really painful. Like maybe some of the easy stuff, but then it gets deep and it gets really painful. Um, because... It's not just that the world is opposed to truth. We are too, very often. Um, And maybe you've had that experience in your own heart that we run and hide from the truth all the time, especially if it's calling us to something or challenging something that we hold to, that we cling to. Uh, And so a lot of us will avoid it, right? We'll not go to that small group or not confess our sins to our brothers or we'll self-medicate or we'll stay plugged in so we don't have to really deal with it, or we'll just work endlessly, Um, or we get really good at blaming other people, Um, or our environment, or rehearsing a narrative injury that basically justifies us being a certain way, or this is a really common one, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, you know, like I'm doing all right compared to that guy, Uh, and then we avoid the the work that God wants to do in our hearts, a work that actually sets free and gives life, but we're avoiding it, uh, we're, we're ducking. I, I have a friend who I, I just spoke to recently, and he's a recent uh, member of AA. He's seven months sober, and I was pretty excited about that. I didn't know he had a problem, though. But then he told me, so I'm, I'm seven months sober, and I've been going to AA. Um, and he told me it was really hard to admit his problem, right? That's step one. He said it was really hard. Um, but he said it was even harder to admit the root problem underneath his addiction, that he was a selfish man. He said that was the hardest one. Um, he says, even when I was doing good, I was always working kind of this angle of self-interest and all these frustrations that then led him to drink. They almost were always connected, but someone made him feel uncomfortable. Someone in some way challenged his self-interest. They, they tipped his kingdom a little bit, and so he would get anxious and didn't know how to handle that. Uh, and he hated the idea that it was his selfishness and his ego that were actually at the root of these problems. Because you know why? Because when he looked at himself through that lens, what did it make him feel? It made him feel weak. It made him feel foolish. It made him feel prideful. It made him feel selfish. Not many of us want to say, yeah, that's me. Perfect, right? Uh, It made him feel really bad. So like us, like we often do, he just tried to avoid it. Now the truth has since set him free. Just like when we sometimes face the truth in our hearts and learn to follow Jesus, the truth what sets us free, but the process can be very painful. A purification process can be very painful. Uh, you ever heard your voice on like a message machine? Yeah? You ever, and you're like, no, please, that's not me. It's like, there's no way I sound, you know, whatever. Like, or maybe you've seen yourself on a video. This is more common now. You see yourself on a video and you're like, that's how I walk. <laughs> it's like, man, I look so weird. Uh, it doesn't match what we want to believe about ourselves, you know? Like, I thought my voice sounded really cool and I walked real cool like, like people on TV, but it's not the case. Uh, if it's hard to swallow even that sort of stuff, it, like the fact that your voice might sound dumber than you want it to, um, when we really get to matters of the hearts, it's even worse. We want to believe that we're generally good people and the problems of this world are because of evil people out there. The problems that we suffer, it's because other people. It's this person did this to me or it's this agenda or it's this group, but not stuff in here. It's them, not us. Um, you have to start here. Right? Um, We have to be honest about the suffering that we cause in this world. Because we cause a lot of it through our selfishness, through our pride, through our ignorance. We we harm those people that we say we love. And we have to start here, right? And this is tough. And so this is one of those men, he who has ears, let him hear. And I hope everyone hears. Um, Letting the truth really work in your heart is really painful. Letting the spirit convict and search deep. But we have to let the surgeon do his work, right? Um, he will wound you, but it's in order to heal you. 
Uh, it's a suffering unto a renewed strength. It's elective surgery that removes something cancerous. And we should say, yes, please. But instead, often we really hide from it. Um, it is a painful process, but it's unto life. And once again, the, the baptism metaphor, you dying with Christ to be raised to walk in this life with him. Um, we alluded to this earlier, but God can also teach and shape us through all sorts of different types of suffering. Um, like Paul in verse 9, you know, he says, this trouble made me really trust in God in new ways. Um, I'll give a couple of verses. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says that the trials and afflictions can grow you in Christ. They can grow virtue and Christ-likeness in you. Or Romans 5, it says that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And even Hebrews mentions temptation as a form of suffering. And it says it can be used as a means to shape and mature you, to strengthen and comfort you. Um, or maybe some of you, uh, you know, the author C.S. Lewis, in a book, A Grief Observed, after his wife had passed away, he says, we are all like blocks of stone that the sculptor is carving a form into. And he says, the blows of his chisel, man, I'm struggling to say that word, the blows of his chisel uh, that hurt us so much are what make us perfect. Sometimes that's how he's shaping us. Uh, God can use pain for his gracious purposes. He can teach us through trials. I've, I've seen it. Does that mean that suffering is good? Or that the temptation is good? Not necessarily. It just means God can work through it, right? Um, if something really evil happens to you, it didn't mean that, and it led to some good, it didn't mean that evil thing was good. Let that be evil. But God can work through it. And God can turn that thing into good. He can redeem. Um, kind of speed up a little. Um, I had a friend who was in a car crash a couple months ago. And it wasn't anything major. He was fine. But it, uh, when I was in a car crash, it was like really disorienting, right? It's kind of, he's nervous as he drives now, you know? Um, and so all of a sudden, he had his car. He's going to work. And then now he has no car and not that much money. And he needs to get to work. And what happened is his church came alongside of him. And people in Christ came alongside of him, and he was telling me about all the ways that the body of Christ had surrounded him. And he said it was really hard, because he, he didn't like the idea of being so needy, that he had to be provided for. Um, and, but they came, and they helped him understand the grace of God, this gift. And they shared out of their resources with him. And he said it was just such a blessing for him. It doesn't make his car crash good. His car crash was a bad thing. Um, but God visited my friend within the suffering. That's what he often does with us, right? He visits us within the suffering, and he's able to comfort and mature us, just like Paul um, in, this, in this passage. All right, this is uh, our last major point. Um, this one's really important, too. At least I think so. Uh, suffering uh, is an inevitable part of loving one another. Uh, the greatest comfort in all the world is the truth of the incarnation, the idea that God becomes flesh, um, Christ doesn't just give us advice from afar and say, hey, you know, like, this is how you ought to live well. Just buck up and try harder, you know, best of luck, but I'm going to stay up here. Um, that's not how God comforted us. What? In Christ, God enters into our suffering. This is the truth of the incarnation, that God himself enters into our suffering. He comes alongside, and then what does he do? He bears it on his back. He takes suffering that wasn't his. It's suffering for whose sin? It's suffering for our sins, it's suffering for our failures and our curse, and he enters into it and puts it on his back in order to take it down to the depths and then rise up over it and set us free. But he enters our suffering and puts it upon his back. Surely he carried our burdens, right? And we consider him stricken by God. There's a pattern for us. This is one of those gifts that's also a commissioning. It calls us into incarnational living, where we're called to enter the suffering of others. Um, I was just talking to Mrs. Morris and thinking about Sarah, uh, incarnational ministry right there. She's entering a people group that's been marginalized and abused, and she's entering the suffering, coming alongside for the glory of Christ. Um, the greatest illustration of love that we have is God's love for the world, and him, it involved him bearing the suffering of others, and so it is with us. To really love, we have to be willing to suffer with and suffer for other people. And love is hard, isn't it? 
Even with the people that you have the most natural affections for, love can be really difficult because what it calls you to die to yourself. It calls you to sacrifice. It calls you to put others before yourself, and that's not our, our natural way. Uh, it's really difficult, but it's your highest good in Christ. Um, Galatians 6, this is a really common passage. Um, Paul says to all Christians, he says, you should carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, burden bearing. Notice he's not saying carry your own and do it well and just work hard. He says, no, you should carry other people's burdens. Uh, someone else's burden, something you didn't deserve, but you're, you're taking it upon yourself. That might get in the way of, of our kingdom building of leisure and comfort, won't it? That individual kind of comfort and leisure kingdom that we're building for ourselves. The idea that I'm supposed to take someone else's suffering and somehow bear it with them and for them is going to get in the way of that. But we're called to take the consequences of someone else's you know, fill in the blank. Whether it's their economic poverty. You guys are going to be talking about wealth next week. Uh, or whether it's emotional poverty. That's a big one, right? Uh, or maybe it's the consequences of their sin. Like they sinned and some terrible things are happening and they're really struggling in it and, and they need someone to come and share it with them. You, you didn't deserve it. It's not yours, but you come and enter into the suffering. Or maybe some sinful things that were done to them or addictions or anxieties or losses or sorrows or loneliness, whatever it is, you're supposed to help them to bear it. You're supposed to share in the comfort of Christ. And this is what it is. We share in the comfort of Christ sometimes by means of the body of Christ when we are entering each other's sufferings and helping each other carry it and bringing each other into the comfort of Christ. It's hard though, right? People seem a little less uncomfortable, a little less comfortable. It's, uh, it's hard it transgresses our normal modes of privacy and, and our normal, like, I'll do it myselfism and our individualism, and maybe you're the person in need, and it's really hard to admit that. That's usually my problem. Just the first start, like, um, like I really struggle with this. And, and I'm, uh, I'm telling you now, like, I, I think I'm getting better, but it's really hard. Like, my brother is really sick right now, um, and it really flattens me out. It, it, just, it just has this depressing effect in every way. Uh, and I need to let other people in my church know about this so they can help me carry the burden. I need to accept the love, but sometimes accepting love can be just as hard as giving it, right? Um, but as a church, we're called to carry each other's loads, to carry someone else's suffering, and this is the one of the way that God visits us in our suffering through each other as the body. Uh, weeping with those who weep, coming alongside, uh, especially if you're helping someone that has really, really deep struggles and addiction cycles, it's going to be exhausting um, and painful and difficult, but it will be part of your abundant life in Christ. Uh, it's a command of the king, right? And his commands are good. It's all connected to, with loving others, dying to yourself, being a witness to the world. Because think about what Jesus says. He says, they'll know you're my disciples. How? By the way you love one another. Um, and it's going to seem like foolishness to the outside. For some, the cross is foolishness. But to others, they're going to, they're going to smell the aroma of Christ in that. You're going to be a witness to the world when you're actually suffering with each other and for each other and learning to love one another in the pattern of Christ. Um, just got a couple more minutes here. Um, in James chapter 1, verse 27, there's a passage, um, and the apostle says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this. Uh, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to visit orphans and widows in their suffering, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here the Apostle James says, true religion is marked by visiting the orphans and widows in their suffering, coming alongside, comforting, helping those who are weak and needy. And that can be a lot of different ways, right? There's a lot of different ways to be weak and needy. This is going to call the church to be creative and imaginative and faithful in the way that you love each other. There's a lot of different needs and there's sort of a lot of different ways of comforting. But it's for the person who doesn't have anyone else to maybe stick up for them or anyone else to help them. Uh, and this will likely challenge you because um, it'll be uncomfortable to wash someone else's feet. It always is. Um, but this is the pattern of Christ, to share in his work and then to enter his joy. Uh, forgiveness, again, forgiving people. Sometimes you take the hit, right? You forgo your right. I have a right to retaliate. You know, like I... I, I deserve, you know, to be able to retaliate. But no, you're supposed to forgo that right and freely forgive and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do and trust it to him. It's his to judge, not ours. It's his to teach lessons, not ours. Um, 
really loving people in the church and this community is going to require that, like that incarnational relationship where you enter the sufferings of one another and help bear the burdens. And that's a choice. You choose to suffer. Typically, we don't do that, right? But here, you choose to suffer by entering the suffering of someone else. And it's hard to do, by the way, if you don't know them. Um, it's really hard to do if you don't really know the people, whether that's in your church or in the city. Um, and it's hard for others to do to you if they don't know you. And so there's kind of a dual challenge there. All right, let's, let's wrap up. Um, this is kind of a, a summary of some of the stuff we've talked about here. It says, um, you, you're going to suffer if you identify with Jesus, uh, especially for being like him. If you're going to be like him, you could say you're going to follow Jesus and then be nothing like him, and you probably won't suffer the same, but that's not really following Jesus. If you are going to identify with Jesus, you're going to suffer. And if you're going to become like him, you're going to suffer. And Paul's taught us this means you'll also be comforted by God himself. You guys probably saw this in 1 Peter 5. It says, after you've suffered a little while, he himself will visit you and comfort you. Um, loving other people is always going to involve suffering. But it's a sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And as you share in his death, so you will also share in his life and in the life to come. Um, by the way, we're not to suffer as fools or evildoers or not as intentionally seeking suffering or self-harm or uh, not as jerks. Uh, the message has its own offenses, right? I think Pastor Rob mentioned that last week. The message has its own offenses. We're not supposed to add offense. We're supposed to adorn it. Um, you can't be a, like a jerk and like abuse people with truth and like hit them over the head with it and think like, I'm really sharing the sufferings of Christ when you know, they don't like you. Um, and there's no evil for evil. You know, someone harms you and then you harm them back and then they harm you again. You're like, oh, man, I'm suffering so much in Christ. Look how this guy keeps harming me. But you're, you're just keeping the cycle of violence alive. Um, no, that's not what it is. You know, we're supposed to suffer without sin, without retaliation. And it's also, this is a big one, and, and I hope you have ears for this um, as we're wrapping up. It's not supposed to be some sort of self-made suffering. Um, not some sort of self-contained swamp of self-pity. Um, we're good at this, by the way. We start listening to that real small voice in the back of our head and it says how hard things have been for us. Or maybe um, we never had this or that. Or that person always has gotten this and that and I've never gotten this and that. And that voice seems really cunning and wise, um, but it's really serpent-like. And I'm going to encourage you today, don't trust it. It sounds good, but it leads to death. Um, don't just sit and say, I'm suffering with Christ but as you wallow in self-pity. Uh, that, that's not the sort of suffering he's talking about. Instead, we're to suffer patiently and in prayer and in hope, right? The cross and then the resurrection, we're, we suffer in hope. As Christians, we have hope that one day the kingdom is coming in full. This is supposed to, you know, lighten this. Um, there's a day that Jesus has proclaimed that every tear is going to be wiped away. That all suffering is going to be gone. And as we wait for this day, we're supposed to be living signposts of this future reality. The way that we love one another is supposed to foreshadow that coming day. It foreshadows it by the way that we wipe away tears right here and now. Um, so we strive by the power of Christ in us, right, to oppose evil, not just out there, but we're in here. We want to oppose the evil in our hearts. We also want to oppose evil in this world. And we want to work to alleviate the conditions of curse that result in needless suffering. We want to work against those. And we want to work against those with the blessings we've received from God. So we, we bless others in the pattern of Christ, alleviating the conditions of curse, promoting the conditions of blessing. Not over, being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. And for those that suffer in this way, that those who suffer in Christ, this gospel work, Paul elsewhere says, it's actually in 2 Corinthians 4, says there's an eternal weight of glory being stored up for you. Uh, and it will make all afflictions that you've experienced seem light and momentary. Uh, so if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to become like him, if you're going to love people the way he does, you're going to suffer, but it's a gift that keeps on compounding from strength to strength to joy to joy into eternity. Um, for those suffering right now, as we close, uh, just general suffering, Christian suffering or general suffering, uh, maybe you were hoping to be lifted up in a different way today. You saw the topic and you're like, I'm really hoping for a certain type of solace and uh, maybe we didn't go where you hoped. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry if that's the case. Uh, but even as you suffer, uh, I want to encourage you to share in other people's sufferings. Uh, I want to encourage you to share in Christ's sufferings. 
uh, because there's comfort there. Um, don't isolate yourself and don't stop loving other people. Uh, I've, myself, I've learned a lot from the Psalms um, and there's two ingredients I've seen a lot in the Psalms for those suffering and one of them is, is honesty and the other is prayer because all the Psalms are prayers. Uh, real honesty before God and before people and then real persistent and heavy prayer seem to be really important while suffering. And so for those of you suffering, um, you may consider this. And maybe you can ask Pastor Rob or one of the other elders or teachers about the Psalms of Lament. Um, they're these really, really human, heavy prayers that help us in our own times of lament. Um, psalm 37 is a psalm that, it's not actually a psalm of lament, so I guess that's a bad segue, but it's helped me a lot. Uh, since I decided I wanted to follow Jesus as a teenager, Psalm 37 has been a, a regular comfort for me. Um, and so I kind of want to practice this verse 4 that with the comfort I receive, I want to share with you. Um, and maybe it'll comfort you too because sometimes life can be super hard, right? Um, and some days for me, you're just kind of trudging along and in the back of my head, it's, it's been for however many years, 15 years now, like Psalm 37, uh, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Commit your way to him. Wait for the Lord. Keep his way. Wait for the Lord. Keep his way. Or trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Wait for the Lord. Keep his way. Trust, trust, commit, rest. And it's just echoing my mind. And it's, God has used it to comfort me over and over. And maybe for some of you suffering today, you could take a look at Psalm 37. All right, we're a little bit over time, so let me pray for us. Lord, uh, help us to listen. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. You are a God of comfort, and so we ask, Lord, that you would comfort us and that you train us and guide us to also suffer as the church in a way that glorifies you, in a way that knits us together in love. Please, Lord, help us to learn to trust you. Even in the midst of suffering, Lord, we thank you that you are much nearer than we might think. So, Lord, we ask your kingdom come, your will be done.